So I'm going to read um, from Deuteronomy chapter 30. There it is. Uh, verses 11 to 20. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that you may obey it. See. I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them... I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Good evening. Our reading tonight from God's Word comes from 1 Peter 4, verses 1 to 19. And this reading is from the NIV. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he doesn't live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse upon you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit." And the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... He should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. 
but rejoice that, you're, that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of Christ rest on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Amen. So I've taken the title for this evening's talk from that reading from Deuteronomy, Choose Life. We have been working our way through the book of 1 Peter, which, as those of you who've been faithfully to every sermon in the series and not had a holiday will remember, uh, it's an encouragement to a people living on the edge. It's a call to perseverance for those who are in faith. And it's a reassurance that all the difficulties that we find along the way are totally worth it. We heard this morning that the author of this book is that same Peter that was with Jesus, that knew Jesus, but still stuffed up spectacularly, as Jack told us. He still hid, he still denied, he still ran away. But yet, he was also there at Pentecost, He was there, he was reinvigorated, he was re-energized, and in this letter we can see his zeal. He says, I know Jesus, I know it's tough, but it's worth it. And so here's a quick catch-up. In chapter 1, we learnt that we should not consider ourselves as outsiders, but as the ultimate insiders. Although we are strangers in the world, we are part of a bigger thing. We are part of God's kingdom. We are called and we are chosen. And that the kingdom, Jesus says, is at hand. So we're not living, waiting for something that's yet to come. Although we are all hungry for the day when we see him face to face. But now we can experience his glory. We can live in his kingdom now. In chapter 2, we were taught all about living lives worthy of our calling. There was a whole load of instructions in that chapter about what it means to be set apart and in submission and the various hierarchies. And in chapter 3, that really tricky bit about suffering for our faith, we start to understand that as we follow Christ, the suffering comes as well. And chapter 3 concludes... We are saved by baptism into Christ who was resurrected and is now in heaven at God's right hand with all the angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. So when chapter 4 opens with therefore, we know that it's because Jesus is our context. That's the uh, beginning of this chapter. We are those who follow Christ. We are submitted to him His example is what encourages us and inspires us. Jesus suffered, Jesus died, Jesus was buried. 
And yet, through his resurrection, he declares eternal victory, not only against, uh, over death, but over every power and authority that stands opposed to God's purposes. Jesus, who generously and graciously makes his inheritance ours so that we can live transformed lives in the presence of the Father. And Jesus, who even now waits for us in heaven, praying for us, rejoicing over us, preparing a place for us. Therefore, that is the therefore. The Jesus is the therefore. Everything comes under that. And this chapter is all about context and hierarchy. Everything under Jesus. So therefore, we can be done with sin. Because Jesus died, we can be done with sin. Tim, uh, in that first chapter, covered that verse that talks about be holy as I am holy. And he explained brilliantly and eloquently and theologically uh, how that's not some kind of tricky instruction that we have to struggle and strive to live up to. It's actually a declaration of what Jesus did. It's a promise to us. It's something that we can claim. Be holy as I am holy. And this is the same. Jesus is done with sin. Through his death, through his triumph over the grave, he is done with sin. And therefore, we can also be done with sin. We don't have to live the rest of our earthly lives kind of responding to evil human desires, but rather sold out, totally committed to the will of God. And as I was reading this uh, chapter through, like I say, it reminded me of the passage in Deuteronomy, and it led me to this question, dead or alive? You'll notice there's a rather tricky bit. There's two particularly tricky verses in uh, 1 Peter. There's a bit that you will have dealt with last week about Jesus going and preaching to the spirits in prison. And in this one, we hear about um, preaching to those who are now dead. And I'm kind of nervous. It's my first time preaching in front of you, so I want to get my theology straight. So I did lots of homework about this, and the conclusion is even all the clever people aren't that sure what this stuff means. But there are two, off, two offers, if you like, that are out there for the theology of preaching to those that are now dead. One is, because of where this book comes in time, there had been time since Jesus' death for there, and resurrection for there to be a generation of Christians who had actually been preached to and had died, kind of normally, if you like. There's the other interpretation that we preach to those who are now dead. They're kind of alive, they're walking around, but they're dead on the inside. And this is very common language in scripture, isn't it? In Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5, we're reminded how dead we were once. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And I want to think about what does it mean to be dead now? Jesus rescued us even when we were dead in our transgressions even when we couldn't do anything for ourselves, even when we couldn't 
people like a dead person. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't earn his love. We couldn't do any work. We couldn't cry out to him. But even so, even so, because of his love, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. This is great. This means that no one is beyond God's saving grace. Because Jesus humiliated and shamed the powers of death, it means there's nothing that he cannot do. And so for this reason, verse 6, we preach the gospel. We tell of a God who transforms death to life. That is the story of the resurrection, isn't it? We worship a God who, it's not just what he does transforming things, it's actually who he is. He is a transforming God. And we've had that theme come back again and again this evening. He takes darkness and he speaks it into light. He takes dust and he speaks it into life. He takes brokenness and he speaks it into glory. God is a God who creates who transforms, and his power to create and transform is complete. It's awesome. I loved um, a couple of Sundays ago, I think Ian bought a transformer, and he had one of the kids transforming it. You may have not been there, but you can imagine it. It was one of those cars, and they had fun trying to transform it into a robot. Yes? Now, God sees you, sees what he wants to transform you into but his power to transform you is awesome and complete and it might be stretching all the analogies ever so slightly but the message i wanted to give you this morning this evening really was if you drove in as a car and god changed you into a robot don't feel like you need to drive out again because god is a god who transforms completely and utterly in awesome power and if he's changed you into being something then that's how he wants you to be. And Jesus, when he stood in the temple, when he declared the beginning of his ministry, these are the words that he used. He said, uh, I've been sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. His declaration of his own ministry was all about transformation, wasn't it? All about transformation. The stuff that's bound up, I'm going to set free. The stuff that's blind, I'm going to bring sight. The stuff that's um, oppressed, where there's oppression, I'm going to be freedom. Every sort of thing that's under under the enemy's control, I'm going to release. Freedom, transformation. And so we come back to this question of are we dead or are we alive? Which side of the fence are we on? I had a look because that's what you do, isn't it? Had a look at the usages of the word living uh, and the kind of things that you can use the word living or life to describe. A state of action and activity. Okay, so if we're alive, we should be in a state of action and activity. Yes, you're feeling alive? We should be full of energy and spirit. We should be lively, people. If you're alive, we should be lively. Are you feeling lively, maybe? Uh, we can have a quality of life, a vibrancy. And also it's used to describe electricity, isn't it? Power and energy is live. Do we feel full of power and energy? Now, I don't know about you, but I am feeling, particularly midway through the holidays, <laughs> a little bit worn down, a little bit maybe not quite as lively as I could be. So I've put together a handy three-point guide to being more alive. 
okay, based on uh, 1 Peter 4. So this is my, my uh, three-point plan for those of you that want to be more alive. So number one, know God, right? This is the bit that we, uh, uh, I'm, I'm really delighted to notice you Baptists, you're very into preaching salvation, it's very, very good, so we're good at this one. The first step to being alive is to know God and to be baptised, isn't it? Fantastic. Um, and just as people through the ages have faced the choice about whether to know and accept God, right the way, even before that uh, Deuteronomy reading that we heard, choose life, there's a choice. Have we made that choice? Because God is waiting. Jesus stands ready to open the door when we knock. Have we made that choice? Do we know God? Have we said yes to him? I imagine on a beautiful August evening, the fact that you're here probably means you have said yes to God. So well done. But actually, that's a bit dangerous, isn't it? It's a bit dangerous to think we've said yes to God. That's that then. Because there's always more. There's always more with God. There's always more to know about him. Uh, And I'm going to read you just a really short excerpt. You've probably heard this before, but it's a famous prayer or declaration from a Baptist minister, S.M. Lockeridge, who served in San Diego up until his retirement in 1993. And he talks about knowing God. So here's just a little bit. David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. He is enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally grateful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's saviour. He's the centrepiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's the miracle of the age. He is the superlative of everything good that you could choose to call him. He is the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleanses lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. That is my king, but do you know him? There's more of that. It's fab. If you've never heard it, look it up. There's lots and lots of it, and it's amazing. But do we know him? I want to challenge you. If you've answered yes, don't get comfortable, because there's always more. There's always more. Uh, And however old you are in your journey with God, there's always more. So number one, tips to be more alive, know God. Now, Peter is writing to a church of people, maybe like us, who have made that initial decision, who've said that initial yes to Jesus, but maybe like us are now struggling a little bit with the day-to-day reality of what that means in practice. So my second tip for being more alive is to be strange. Strange. Okay? Uh, Peter talks about being strangers and aliens in the world. He says that the world looks at us 
And they think it's strange that we don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Peter says, don't be surprised by the suffering. In verse 13, actually, he says, rejoice. And in verse 15, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Maybe if people don't think you're strange, you're not doing it right. Maybe you're not quite alive enough. Maybe you've been trying so hard to fit into the world around you that you're not really a stranger there anymore. I listened to a great uh, program on Radio 4 this week. Uh, It was a guy called Byron Vincent, and he told the story of growing up in a really troubled inner-city area. And he knew in his heart he wanted to do art and write poetry. And he was on Radio 4 because he now does do art and write poetry. But he found it so hard to be the kid that wanted to do art and write poetry in an inner-city estate where actually that wasn't normal. That he'd started to pretend to be like the other kids. He started to pretend to want to be in the gang. And he started to pretend like the clothes that they liked and started to pretend to enjoy doing the things that they enjoyed doing. And he pretended so well that he became a drug dealer and ended up in prison. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, Watch out for the sin that so easily entangles. We are called to be strange. Don't worry if you don't quite fit in. Don't worry if people think you're strange. Don't worry if people heap abuse on you because you don't join in with their way of doing things. Be strange. This is an encouragement and an exhortation. Some of my most vibrant, quirky, unpredictable, spirit-filled and energetic friends are very, very strange, but they're very, very alive. And this is what God is calling us to do. It's because we know God. One day we, with unveiled faces, 2 Corinthians says, will contemplate the Lord's glory. We are transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. How often have you looked at the stuff in our world and your heart's broken for how far away it is from what God wants it to be? The world is broken. The world is dark. We are being transformed into God's glory. We should feel strange in this dark and broken world. I mentioned everything in this passage is about hierarchy. Being strange, you will note, comes under knowing God. I'm not just talking about random acts of strangeness. I'm talking specifically about being set apart for God and um, being changed into his glory. And the third point, my third tip for being more alive, um, is do good. And that's what we are told in 1 Peter 4. And again, it's really important, do good comes under knowing God. Doing good by itself isn't worth anything. The works without the faith doesn't matter. But if you know God, if you're being transformed into his glory, and if that's working out by you doing good, then that's great. And this is the list in 1 Peter 4. What does doing good look like? Being clear-minded and self-controlled. There's plenty of places in our world where that looks strange, don't you think? I think, actually, I work a lot with 
business people and leaders who are busy. The busy doesn't even begin to cover how these people live their lives. They're stressed, they're busy, they're tired. Everything is a constant noise, a constant demand for their attention. And being clear-minded and self-controlled actually is a very different way of being. It's a strange way of being. 1 Peter 4 says we should love each other deeply. Not this kind of surface pretense that the world does, where you sort of like a person on Facebook and then be mean to them. Not a sort of surface, empty love, but a deep love. A love like Jesus has, where we really lay our lives down for our friends. I heard Christy Wimber speak a few weeks ago. Many of you all know she's part of well, the Wimber family, so big signs and wonders and amazing kind of Holy Spirit stuff going on. And she said the biggest sign and wonder of all is kindness. Kindness. Just being genuinely kind to somebody is the biggest sign and wonder of all. So in our doing good, let's love each other deeply. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Holding all things in common, those early disciples, didn't they? Uh, Do we offer hospitality? Do we open our homes and share what we have with others? And use your gifts to serve others. Whatever we have, whatever God has given us, we put it to work for his glory. So that is my three-point plan for being more alive and the challenges that go with it. Do you know God? Have you got comfortable? Is there more that you want to ask him to show to you? Have you slid into fitting in? Are there places where maybe we need to be a little bit stranger, a little bit braver, a little bit more different? And do we go around doing good? Are all the things that we do offered for God's glory? I hope that they are. And I hope that because they are, you will feel comfortable Can you put the next slide up? These are the words uh, at the end of one, well, in the middle, actually, of 1 Peter 4. And I hope that you will feel comfortable in saying those together as a response to the message before we sing again. So we do all those things. You ready? So, that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Great.